0: Go and be a part of that. I've never had the privilege of being able to be a part of that But I heard really good things happen there and so encourage you to be a part of that and um, For those who may be visiting with us here today That was my daughter Erica that was in her dorm room at Augustana in Sioux Falls where she is studying uh, to get her degree in ASL American Sign Language Interpreting and um, so um, She's actually gonna be around next weekend. She gets to come home, so we're excited about that. So we just couldn't hold off till next week, so we had to show a video of her. How's that sound? Everybody good with that? It's good. We, we miss her. Uh, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles here today, I'm gonna to invite you to open up to Acts chapter. Twenty did I say twenty-one? Yeah, twenty-one. Thank you. <laughs> Acts chapter 21, we're titling this message, Danger Zone. We went away from the book of Acts at the beginning of summer. As I was contemplating and praying, I felt the Lord was calling us to do two things over the summer. Number one, talk about heart and, and treasure. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And so we looked at that for a few weeks. And I believe God really ministered to our hearts through that. We also then looked at, um, over the last seven weeks, we looked at God's design. What is God's design Four things from from gender to marriage to children for man for woman God has specific roles in a perfect design that he has put together we talked about how the culture that is around us is fighting against that design Satan is attacking that design has been from the very beginning it is only picked up here as we continue to get closer and closer to the end of the age Um, and so we looked at that over the last seven weeks And so last week I began to try to get my heart and head back into the book of Acts and our study there as we are on part 29 here today. My heart was stirred stirred though as I began to study this once again. I couldn't help but thinking about the song that we sang last week. If you remember, send me, send me, I'll go anywhere, I'll go anywhere. And those are strong words, aren't they? They're very strong words that we should never sing lightly, for sure. But also, should we call ourselves Jesus followers if we're unwilling to sing them? Does that make sense? Strong words to say, I'll go anywhere, but I don't think that that should be any less than any person who takes upon the name of Christ. That should be their cry. To follow Him in obedience, wherever He may call us to go, whatever He may call us to do, that's at the heart of what it truly means to be a follower of Christ you actually have to are you ready for this, this is gonna be revolutionary for so many of you you actually follow him and that's something you actually follow him you look at the disciples that Jesus called that left everything and went and followed him that was normal Christianity in the in, in what we of what we see in scripture And I don't think we should ever consider that it would be any different or any less for you and I who want to follow him and and desire to live a life that's pleasing to him, that would glorify him. I began to think about Paul and then the rest of the apostles. There was an incredible amount of consistency within their lives as it related to the call of God upon their lives. Wherever he called them to go, that's where they went. They were living for the kingdom of God and his will was their command. So number one in your handout here today, the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord. Before we go into the direction that we're going to go, I want to highlight a couple of things that we see here and that Luke seems to be highlighting here in Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21 in verse 4, he highlights this. And finding... Disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul, through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. Through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem, this is interesting. There was a consistency in the danger that Paul was going to face in Jerusalem. There was inconsistency in how they were interpreting what God was revealing to them to do. Some took it to mean don't go, but others took it to mean, including Paul, to go. But to get back to what I was saying here at the beginning, in verse 5, they spent time together. Once again, prayer was a priority. Over and over again you see that. Prayer being the priority. Isn't that what it says here in verse 5 as Paul is getting ready to leave Tyra? When he had come to the end of those days, we departed and went our way. And they all accompanied us with their wives and their children until we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and we, helped me out, church. And we prayed. Prayed together. You notice, everybody was a part of this, including the children, including the women, obviously, including the men that were there as well. Prayer was a priority. You also see the importance of discipleship as Paul would go back to these places that he had visited, and once again, desired to be with people, desired to spend time with them, desired to continue to communicate truth to them, desire to see how they were doing. Were they growing in Christ, or were they getting stagnant in their walk with Christ? This is over and over again what he continued to seek out. But then as we said before, just a little bit ago, I got a little ahead of myself, in Acts chapter 19, go back to Acts 19, the Spirit had expressly told Paul that he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. Uh, chapter 19, verse 21 When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he had this revelation that God was calling him to go to Jerusalem. He also knew some of the things that were going to happen when he got to Jerusalem this continued to be a consistent theme we saw there when they were in Tyra when he was in Tyra when he found disciples in Acts 21 verse 4 once again that he highlighted this fat reality that he was told Paul through the spirit don't go to Jerusalem why because there's going to be danger there okay now you'll you'll notice here even if you skip down a little bit further into um, once he gets to Caesarea, verse 8: On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea, entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. One of the seven, he means those that they rose up. Do you remember in Acts chapter 6 when there was a great need that arose, and uh, among the Hellenist widows were not getting their needs met? And so they, they, the apostles said, we need to continue to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So we, it's not right for us to wait on tables right now. We're not able to do that, so we need to raise up other servants of the Lord that are going to continue on in that ministry. Well, Philip was one of them that had, they had raised up to do that. He was also one of them who, had, who, was on, who God sent him out, and he met the guy who was, on the, who was Ethiopian eunuch, right? preached truth to him, As he's studying the book of Isaiah, preaches truth to him, this guy gets saved, ends up saying, here's water, what should hinder me from being baptized? This is the same Philip that he's talking about. That he came to in Caesarea, they entered into Philip's house, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed there many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea Here once again, and when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. Right? This is some pretty significant confirmation to what the Spirit was ministering to many different people. One, that Paul felt that he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. Everybody was seeing that if Paul went to Jerusalem, There was going to be hardship and persecution that he was going to experience if he went there. Many people interpreted that to mean, well, don't go then, right? This is going to be dangerous. Therefore, you shouldn't go. After all, Paul, look at all of the things that are continuing to happen. Look at all of the work that is continuing to go forward. Look at all the work that is yet to be done. Isn't this interesting, though, as well, is that Jesus' own followers, when he began to talk to them about going to the cross and suffering, they just really didn't have a category for that within their theology. They had a problem with this theology of suffering, hardships for the sake of the gospel, and yet Jesus continued to affirm, no, I need to do this. In fact, I came for this purpose. This is why I'm here. This is the word that continued to come forward. Agabus even comes out and highlights this. This is what's going to happen. Uses a a very real object lesson by taking Paul's belt and binding his own hands. Saying this is what's going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem. I also want to highlight here couple of things, but because I, 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 I want the main thing that we're going to draw from here today to be the main thing. But one of the things that you notice here in this passage that it talks about these different people were prophesying, given prophetic words, that there was also Philip's daughters who were part of this. They would have been known as prophetess. Number one, the gift of prophecy is not to be equated with the written word of God. Because we don't have... What they were prophesying. We don't know what they were prophesying. It wasn't written down. It wasn't meant to be part of the canon. And yet there were specific words that were given that was meant, as Corinthians talks about, when it talks about this spiritual gift, to edify, to build up, to encourage specific things. The second thing that you'll notice with this is that women were operating in this gift. You see this happening right here again like I said we don't know what they were prophesying but it highlights Luke sees fit to highlight that they were prophesying in Corinthians chapter 11 Paul talks about women praying and prophesying so this would be completely appropriate I just want to highlight this as, as we talked about women's roles within the church just a few weeks ago and one of the things that we highlighted is as far as we're concerned as far as we understand the Word of God right here at Church of Hope but we don't see the role for women to be preaching and teaching within the body of believers or having authority over men in that way. Yet there are significant roles in different ways that God gifts them. We know they can have the gift of teaching to be teaching within a women's group of study, right? Other women, the older teaching the younger. We also see them um, obviously working with children as well, right? Yet the, the role that has been given upon elders and pastors within churches, we believe, is that's God's significance of that role being given to men to operate in as, as God would see fit. And yet I want to highlight these things so that we don't diminish these different areas that the Bible definitely alludes to of places and roles and responsibilities that they can have. So in verse 10... Another prophet, Agabus, we looked at that, gives him the object lesson. But look at Paul's response in verse 13. Look at Paul's response in verse 13. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what I believe we need to be encouraged with here this morning. Don't think for a moment that danger and risk of life are not part of God's plan for His people. Does that make sense? Don't think for a moment that danger and risk of our lives are not part of God's plan for His people. In fact, more times than not in Scripture, wouldn't you say the people that God used throughout the Word were consistently taking the path that pus- put them in risky situations and right in the thick of the danger zone? I say that because I believe this is not a time and a day to draw back. This is not a time and a day to run from the fire. This is a time and day for the people of God to rise up and run into the fire. Does that make sense here this morning? All throughout Matthew chapter 24, when he is giving signs of the end, he continues to give these extreme signs of what things are going to be like before Jesus Christ returns. But then he continues to say all throughout that chapter, but the end is not yet. Nation's going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilence, all of these other things. And he continues to say, but the end is not yet. The end is not yet, church. It's actually going to get worse. And it's going to get tough. And, and, and there's going to be people rising up against each other. There's going to be, because, because lawlessness is going to abound, the love of many is going to grow cold, it says. People are going to betray one another. But then by the time you get to verse 14, he gives us this incredible promise. And I love this. Because this just once again affirms the reality that God's people are not to be running from the fire, they're actually to be running into the fire. Because here's what he says, all up until this point in Matthew 24, all the way from verse 1 through verse 13, he he is talking about all these things, saying, but the end is not yet, the end is not yet, the end is not yet, until he gets to verse 14, he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all peoples, all nations, literally mean people groups, and then the end will come. I don't know about you but I get excited about that I get excited because that tells me that the gospel is continuing to go forward no matter what is happening in the culture around us, no matter what is, people are saying around us, no matter what people are believing, no matter how far our culture is going in the opposite direction and becoming antichrist in, within governments and everything else is taking place, His gospel, God is going to see to this, He's not stopping His mission, He's continuing His mission, and He is continuing to take it forward and he's going to have his people who are going to boldly continue to stand and not run from the fire, but actually run into the fire, equipped with the message of the gospel, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? You and I, left to ourselves, we know this is true, right? We're not going to be able to do it. We're not going to be able to accomplish it. We're going to fall on our face every single time. God knows that. That's why in His promise that He gave in the Great Commission, when He talked about all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He is King of kings and Lord of lords now, by the way, if you didn't know that. And he He is assuring His people that this is true even now, no matter what you're seeing all around you, this is continuing to be true. Now I'm sending you out to make disciples of all people groups. And now, by the way, I'm with you always. that good news? Even all the way to the end of the age. Just last Monday was 9-11, 22 years ago. We know that the Twin Towers were attacked in New York City and, and came crumbling down. By terrorists. They were attacked by terrorists. Before they had come crumbling down, you heard the testimonies. And I think it, it's one of those deals that's such a... To use another word picture, to use another object lesson. It's one of those things that the, 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 the firefighters and the, and the police officers and people involved in emergency response, even though they knew, yes... These buildings, I don't know how safe they are, right? And yet you continued to see as people were flying and running out of the place, running for their lives, you continued to see people that were running into the fire, running into these buildings to save as many as possible. And many of them gave their own lives. Praise God for their bravery. This is on a physical sense, but well, how about on a spiritual sense? How much more for those of us who are secure in Christ, that have our names written in the Lamb's book of life, how much more should we who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, how much more should you and I be running into the fire of everything that's happening all around us with the hope and message of the gospel? Amen? Don't run from the fire in these days. Run into the fire. Number two that you see happening here, or number. Uh, let's let's end with verse fourteen. So when he would not be persuaded, we see saying, "The will of the Lord be done." I think that's a great response. They couldn't talk Paul out of what he knew God had called him to do. He said, "This is the purpose. This is why I'm here." If you remember all the way back at the beginning uh, of Paul's uh, story, when when uh, he'd gotten was on the, the, the road to Damascus and the light appeared to him and so on. And, uh, and God had called, who um, was it, Ananias, right? God had called Ananias to go speak with him and Ananias is a little skeptical to go talk to him. He says he persecuted the church. Says, bad news about Paul and he's like, no, no, I saved him. <laughs> he's a brother now. He's in Christ. He's safe. You can go to him. And he tells him, he says, I must show him all of the things he must suffer for my name's sake, for the sake of the gospel. What does Paul say in verse 13? Thus Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Don't necessarily think that the easy path that you may be faced with is the right path because it's easy for easiness sakes what are your motivations for God's leading and direction within your life it's okay to ask yourself those kinds of questions because if it's comfort for comfort's sake we're off base and we need to go back to the Word of God and say it wasn't about comfort now Don't get me wrong, it's not that God doesn't grant times of comfort. (laughs) God doesn't grant times of, of, because Paul knew that, right? He says, I've learned the secret of contentment. I've learned in no matter what situation I am therewith to be content. He says, I've had times where i had much. I've had times where i had very little. But I've learned to be content in Christ because I understand in all of these things, He is at work so number two in your handout here's the big lie that paul begins to encounter as he comes to jerusalem he gives a report to all of the people here it begins in verse 15 he gives a report everything that god had done notice paul doesn't just start talking about i did this i did that you should have seen it it was amazing i think that's significant He begins to talk about all the things that the Lord had done when He had come to Jerusalem. Verse 17. And the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. And when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through His ministry. Now here's what happens when you give God the credit for it and the attention for it. Guess what happens? Then when... Verse 20, when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Then God gets the glory for what he had accomplished, and not Paul, not man. Right? Then they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews who have believed, and they are zealous for the law. The Jerusalem church and leadership had concerns about what some of the people had been told about Paul. The things that they were being told about Paul, by Judaizers, were lies. Here's what was happening. Many of these people had come to Christ, but because of their past of practicing, think about it all up until this point, they had been celebrating all of the ceremonial laws. Dietary laws, and they continued practicing these things, holding them in high regard. Paul knew that that would be a hard thing for them to jump out of cold turkey. So he didn't want to do anything that would cause them to stumble. He talks about this over and over again throughout Corinthians. This is what you see him talking about. The things that were permissible to him, but not all things were beneficial for him. And so he would hold off, he would restrain from them. He made a servant, he made himself a servant to all men, it says, that he might win some of them. Remember that? In chapter 15 of Acts... The Jerusalem leaders had sent word to the Gentile churches that they needed not be troubled by all the Judaizers who were coming to them and, and giving them all this information. That, and this was the idea that they were giving them is you need to become a Jew before you can be saved. You need to be circumcised. The Jerusalem church wanted them to know that they hadn't been the one. The official Jerusalem church leadership was not the ones who were sending them to do that. They wanted them to know that. They hadn't said these things, and it was not necessary for them to come under all of these things that were being given. They did have a few things for them to do, a few things for them to practice for their own benefit, and also for the benefit of the Jews that were among them. So they were spreading these lies. Look at verse 21. These were the lies, but they had informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children or to walk according to their customs. What then? In other words, what should we do about this? Here's here's the lies that are being promoted. What should we do about it? Then they tell Paul what they think he should do. The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them here as well. Notice one of the things that you see right away. Notice Paul's submission to the elders within the church. God's plan for the mission continues to flow. From the structure of the local church. At one point, the apostles were running things, but you'll see as the apostles were going to different places, continue to preach the gospel, they were called. Paul told Timothy to do this raise up elders everywhere that you're going. This is going to be the leadership now of the churches and the church structures as they're called to be. You cannot escape that everything that is written post Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament is all in the context of the local church structure with elders. For sure, and deacons as were needed, I'm convinced that the Christian that is operating outside of that is walking outside and contrary to God's design and structure for the New Testament believers, on their own, being a lone ranger and not a part of a local body of believers. It's not biblical. The rogue. So they give Paul the opportunity to show that they had what they had heard about him wasn't true. So they came up with this idea. There was four men that had taken a Nazarite vow, a season of separation and dedication to the work of the Lord. It's talked about in Numbers chapter 6. There was a purification process. That was part of the vow of the Nazarite. Paul was instructed to take them, pay for their expenses, so that when they shaved or cut their hair, because that was a part of it, they weren't, as they were taking that vow, they wouldn't. They would continue to let their hair grow. That was part of it everyone would know then that they had fully completed every part of that vow. By doing this, they thought it would lay to rest all of the suspicions that people had about Paul, that he was throwing all of this stuff that they had held near and dear, and was speaking against Moses and so on. Paul had no problem doing this because he wanted to remove any hindrance for the gospel so that it could run freely and for the sake of the unity of the body. It's interesting. You remember that Paul was saying, to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win some. To the Greeks I became as a Greek. To those under the law I became as those under the law. To those who were not under the law I came as those who were not under the law. Again, we've talked about this before. He's not talking about sinning with them and becoming like them. He's talking about the things that would hinder them and hinder the gospel from going forward. He had no problem with complying with some of these things that would cause a great hindrance for them. You see in all of this, Paul operating with this incredible heart of humility. I think that's something that we ought to make note of. Number three, the arrest. Here was the arrest. You know how this always goes when you do what you're told. Everything works out great. Amen? Well, we do have a promise in Romans chapter 8, don't we? He causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purposes. Right? We know that that's true. But there is a difference, wouldn't you agree with me here today? There's a difference between what we might call good from our human perspective and what God calls good. The Jews from Asia show up and begin to stir up trouble. And the next thing you know, they got a mob on their hands. Verses 28 and 29 are a great example of how accusations and conclusions are made often falsely. I saw this, so I simply assumed this. If you look at verses 28 and 29, crying out, men of Israel, help! This is a man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, meaning the temple, and furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. I think that's interesting that that gets brought up here. We didn't see him in the temple with him, but we just assumed if he was hanging out with them, why? Because it fit their narrative. False accusations. That they were continuing to fight against this. Remember who the father of lies is? Help me out, church. Who's the father of lies? Satan. Anyone who is engaging in slander and false accusations is operating under the influence of Satan. It's not good, and it should be taken seriously. Amen? All these people wanted to do was add fuel to the fire. And it worked. It stirred up the people. Stirred up people enough to the point where they were ready to kill Paul. You see Paul, you see the commander of the garrison hears that Jerusalem is an uproar. He takes soldiers to see what's going on. When the people saw him and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. He takes Paul and binds him in chains and arrests him ask the people what he had done but no one answers no one's answers were in agreement with one another if you have a false story and a false narrative it's tough to get all the accusations to work out but he's then taken to the barracks and the mob follows Paul pleads with the commander that he be allowed to speak with the commander the commander assumes Paul could not speak grief having thought that he was an Egyptian it says The commander was not a Roman citizen from birth, but had paid a large sum of money. He tells him this in the next chapter. We'll look at that. Paul says that he is a Jew. He would like to speak, have the opportunity anyways to speak to the people. He's granted that request. The next time that we gather together, we're going to look a, a little more into that. But here's one of the things you see, and I want to draw our conclusion here. One of the things is that you see here with Paul is that his focus on the message of the gospel never changes. He's going to get into it. He's going to tell his story of how all of this happened and how he was called into the ministry, how he was heading a certain direction and God completely flipped everything on its head. And he was called to go preach the message of the gospel and it isn't long after that he comes to Christ that he begins to boldly, wherever he goes, he begins to go into the synagogues and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's number one concern was not his safety, but was the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he had been called to preach. What about us? Church of Hope, what is governing our lives? What is the lens we're looking through that is affecting all of the decisions that we're making for the directions of our lives right now? Is it the gospel for His namesake? The Lamb who was slain That His name would be lifted high. That His name would be magnified. That His name would be glorified. May that always be what guides us, what directs us, what continues to be our theme, no matter what is happening around us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truth of it. We ask that You would continue to move and work and have Your way in our hearts. That we would be a people, God, that would stand. A people that would continue to move forward in the midst of all kinds of uncertainties, in the midst of the unknown in the midst of the unknown, of what tomorrow holds, of what's going to happen next. May we be a people that have clear vision for the work that you have called us to. And that the name of Jesus would be lifted high everywhere that we go, everything that we do. We would not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that we boldly proclaim it and help us to be this people, God, who are not running from the fire, but are running into the fire. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. If you'd like prayer for anything here today, we'd love to pray with you and for you. If you have any questions about anything that we've talked about here today, we'd love to pray we'd love to talk with you about that. Amen, you are dismissed.